Once again, it is a privilege to be in the house of the Lord. We've had a few days back and forth, uh, online, in, in person, online again, and it's, it sometimes is frustrating, sometimes is confusing, and not to say awkward, and, and we have to deal with this. But we are grounded in the word of the Lord, and the Lord Spirit doesn't go back and forth. If we if we have to worship at home, for whatever reason, or if we come, are able to come here, uh, really, as far as the Lord is concerned, He has told us that wherever two or three are gathered, there He is. It's not the building that makes the presence. The building is nice because. We can gather in many people uh, seeking the Lord's presence, seeking the Lord's face together. And this morning we're going to continue a few thoughts in the book of Colossians. Uh, Jorge has started several lessons, uh, and so I'm not going to rehearse what he had. I'm going to just move forward, and we're starting today chapters verses 1 to 7. There's a lot of stuff packed in these seven verses. And I'm going to just extract a few thoughts for us today. I want to encourage you to do your own, study your own search of this book, and especially of this chapter. And we're going to see a few other references that are tied in here. And so I want to begin with the reading of Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. I'll be reading in the English Standard Version. You read wherever you're comfortable. For I want you to know the, how great a struggle I have for you. He's talking to the church of the Colossians. And for those at Laodicea, and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that you, so that no one may delude you with uh, plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in your faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So what we have here is Paul's deep desire and Paul's deep prayer for these two churches mentioned here. There are a couple of churches close together, separated by nine to ten miles. Some commentators tell us that the city of Colossians was a bigger city then, uh, rather, the church of Laodicea, the town was a bigger town 
than Colossians. But the gospel started in Colossians and then spread in the region and spread to the church in Laodicea, maybe a daughter church. Maybe a church started by those of Colossians sharing the word with their neighboring towns. And because he mentions the church of Laodicea, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to the end of the chapter, where it's the only mention we have in Scripture, apart from Paul, about the church of the Laodiceans. And just before we read it, there's different understandings about the letters uh, addressed to the different churches of Asia. Some look at the churches as literal churches, and I believe they were literal, but they also spoke of problems current in each particular location. At the same time, they're kind of prophetic of the times and the eras of the church. And that's not my message, so I'm, I'm, that's all I'm going to say there. And probably the church of Laodicea, in its representation of the times, most biblical scholars feel that they speak to our day today. Written 2,000 years ago, sent by the Spirit to the angel, from the angel to John, from John to all peoples, to us today. And so we read, And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So, God himself in the person of Christ speaking. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For, for you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not really realizing that you are wretched and pitiful, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white, your garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and be with him. The one who conquerors, I will gain, grant to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. And so uh, in Paul's addressing this church, he is perhaps foreseeing the problem down the road. He's looking by faith at these two churches and envisioning 
where they're going to be down the road. We don't know how the church of Laodicea fared down the road. But we know, uh, rather, the church of Colossians. We know that Paul warns them about strange doctrine penetrating the church. He warns them about uh, false counsel, false teaching coming to them, uh, wrapped in flowery words, wrapped in words that that would convince anybody that the, they were speaking the truth and that they should turn aside from that which Paul was teaching. And further in the, into the chapter, uh, there's even a reproof from Paul that they had started to worship angels. There was a feeling that they, they were so unworthy of coming to Christ that probably it was best if they spoke to an angel and an angel would be the, the go-between. Such, such stark contradiction that Christ came and said, no one comes to the Father but for me. There is no other mediator. It's almost like going back to the Old Testament where a priest or a prophet stood before God on your behalf. The cross did away with that. The coming of Christ the dying across his resurrection did away with that. You and I can pray directly to him. But these are the problems that we're facing. Now, the church of Laodicea, it, it didn't heed these words. And it grew, grew cold. It didn't realize it was cold. It didn't realize it was naked. It didn't realize it had nothing to offer God, but they, th they saw themselves as self-sufficient. And Christ and the church was an afterthought. Is something you did or practiced when you had time. And that is a dangerous, dangerous position to be. Because we slowly drift. We slowly move from good standing with God until we're, we're out of fellowship. And so... Uh, Paul is anxious about these two churches. And he mentions in verse uh, 1, how great a struggle I have for you. I want you to know that I struggle for you. He's not talking about his own personal sufferings, but he's talking about the weight upon his soul on behalf of the church. And the interesting thing is that Paul says, I pray for you. And Paul says, I pray for you, even though I've never seen you face to face. And these two churches, Paul had never met the people of these churches. And yet there was a burden on his heart that he needed to address a letter to these churches and say, wake up. Follow Christ more closely. Keep your eyes on Christ. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. In the book of Galatians, he says, May I be cursed if one day I myself come to you with a different gospel than what I have given you. So sure is he of what God has given to him for the church that he says, If someday I come up in front of you and preach a different gospel, Curse me. 
curse me and ask God's wrath upon me. And he says, may I be anatoma, and that means damned to hell. And so Paul is really concerned about the spiritual being of God's people. And if he prayed for those he didn't know, how much more did he pray for those he knew? And I, th I think it's pertinent a question to ask ourselves, how is my prayer life? Do I pray for those I don't know? If I, ha if I have a hard time praying for those I do know, what about those I don't know? Those prayer letters and prayer requests that come to me, come to us from people across the world that we've never met. And the, the scripture calls us brothers. It's addressed to brothers in Christ. Actually, the Greek word it renders better in English, we're siblings in Christ. They're siblings that we've never met. They're siblings who struggle with their walk with God, and we need to pray for them. We, we will meet them in glory, if not on this earth. If we think of them as a great family, redeemed by the blood of Christ, become one in Christ, then it should make it be easier uh, to, to pray. We don't want to be like the church of Laodicea, where Christ said, I know that you are neither hot nor cold. You think you're rich, but you're empty spiritually. You're poor, you're blind, you're naked. And then there comes a call in, to, to, to this church to come back. The, the expression, buy from me gold, buy from me clothing, buy from me salve for your eyes, is really, uh, in essence, saying, go back to your first love, go back to the word, go back to the source of your calling. Dig into the word and you will find what you need to walk. So Paul's desire and prayer for the church was that both churches, actually the people of God, would be encouraged and knit together with strong ties of love. When it uses the word knitted, I always think of those people who are always knitting. They, want to, they go to the hospital, they're waiting for their turn to see the doctor, and they're knitting. They're in waiting someplace and they're knitting. I don't know what's being made. But probably when it's finished, it's something beautiful. But all those cords are knit together. And there's different types of tapestry where they, they, the figure is being seen, the figure that they're, they're they're stitching, if you turn it over, it's a tangle of threads. And that's what we sometimes see, but when we turn it over, we see what God is doing. And so it's knit together uh, so that we're, we feel like one, so we don't feel like we pull apart. We're living in days where we're encouraged to be individuals and to depend less upon others. And we're told that for our own good, 
We're supposed to social distance from each other. And as true as that may be in the physical, that can lead us to drift apart in the spiritual. So we need this prayer upon us, be knitted together, be joined together. And Paul goes on to say, uh, we need to be guarded. Before that, he says, we need to understand God's secret plan. Paul talks a lot about the gospel being something that was not understood. It was hid in the prophecies of the Old Testament. And even when Christ was revealing himself to the disciples, they didn't always get it. Just like you and I don't always get what God is talking about. But Paul says, I was given the ministry to open up the mystery, which is our hope and glory, solely on the person of Jesus Christ. But the, the, the Gnostics, the philosophers of Paul's day, were always trying to tell people that Paul didn't have the full truth. They had it. The gospel is complicated, they would say. Follow this other teachings. It's much easier. It's much more uh, palatable. It's much more understandable, etc. And Paul then says, we need to understand God's secret that actually is being revealed every time we open the word of God and we study what God has for us. And he says to guard ourselves against theological deception. We need to continue to grow in Christ. We need to learn to rejoice and be thankful in every situation. And so quickly going back to verses 2 and 3, Paul wanted each Christian to be mature. But he also wanted every church to be mature. He had already praised the Christians because they loved Christ and they had a deep hope in Christ and this love for Christ, this hope in Christ was spreading. Places far and wide were hearing about the love that these people had for Christ and his prayer is that the love be also for the ones right close to you, right beside you right among you. Love them. Be united to men. Be, uh, we need to know and believe the full truth about Christ. You know? And, and they needed to understand the, the schemes of false prophets and turn their eyes ever so more towards Christ. They were, they were uh, taught to seek and claim God's truth, God's word. And I want to read for you in Proverbs chapter 2. I'm not sure if I requested it to be on the screen. Uh, in Proverbs, Solomon writing to one of his sons, said, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, 
making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it for, like a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth and knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. So Paul echoes the teachings of, of Proverbs that as a Christian, we need to listen to the word of God and seek it and pursue it. It's not just a superficial five-minute reading of the scriptures. It's spending time with God in prayer, spending time with the word. And that's how we grow stronger and avoid uh, false teachings. Verse 3 talks about the hidden, uh, the treasures that are hidden in Christ and the knowledge of Christ. And there's another passage, uh, 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1, 3 and 4, and I'll read this quickly because it ties in with P Peter's concern for the church. His, referring to Christ, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his glorious excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption of the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge, and on he goes. That it is the knowledge of Christ, it is the knowledge of the word of Christ that builds us up so that we can have spiritual maturity. And as Paul goes on uh, talking about uh, being rooted, established, built up, grounded, in the word. And in verse 4, he talks about let no one persuade you. A lot of times, when we get careless, and I, I talk to, about myself, as much as it's a habit to read the Bible every day and pray every day, once in a while there seems to, to be a week where it's very hard to pick up the Bible, there's so many interruptions, so many things, and you, you begin to actually relax and, and, and try to guide yourself through the day, through the week, on stored up blessings, on stored up truths. And, we, and then at the end of the week, we discover that our, our love for the Lord may not be noticeable to others. 
that has diminished. But we know in our heart of hearts that we're not as close as we should be. There's a saying that if I go for a week or two without really going to the Word of God and letting the Word of God work in my heart, the first week, I will notice it. The second week, my wife will notice, will know that I haven't been as close as I ought to be to the Lord. The third week, my neighbors know that I have not been with the Lord. The people I encounter during the day says, what happened to him? He's different today. He seems a little sad. He seems grumpy. He seems, and he goes on. And then the fourth week, my dog knows it because I kick him out of my way. And so we can't afford to let down our guard and go to the Word on a daily basis intentionally seeking to grow in the Lord. And Paul uses something quite interesting here. He says, I am with you in spirit. Does that mean that he was in jail in Rome and he could transport himself in spirit and sit in the service with him? I don't think so. I've heard of people claim that they can, they can uh, leave their body and travel elsewhere. I don't know. I don't think that's possible, but that's, if, it's, if, it's, if it's them and the Lord, I'll leave it there. But what I believe Paul is saying, I have the Spirit of Christ indwelling in me, you have the Spirit of Christ indwelling in you, and so distance will not separate us. There is a sense that we are in the same room. And indeed we are. We're in Christ, we are seated at the right hand of the Father. If spiritually I'm there, spiritually you're there, you may be in, in China and I may be here. We're together. We're one in spirit. And so Paul, in this intimacy with Christ, he could grasp somehow the deep need of the church. And really he's expressing that, uh, that he has a great deep desire to see them walk with the Lord and he cares deeply about them. To the point he says, I'm with you. Horace has been, Pastor Jorge has been sick and we text back and forth and I tell him, I got your back. I'm with you, brother. I'm not there. I'm here, but I'm there. I'm here. There is that sense that we're one. We're together in this. And uh, he talks about, uh, use the word discipline. He uses the word firm. Really, he's using military terms. It's kind of like in Ephesians, he says, he says when you have uh, won the battle, stand firm. Don't let down your guard. Be alert. Be alert. Paul describes the Christians as a soldier. We have that in, in chapter 6 of Ephesians. And, and Jesus uh, spoke also in John 8 about Satan being our enemy. 
being the one who, who robs the seed sown in our hearts. He talks about, the, Peter talks about the, the lion, or like a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah is Christ, but Satan is an imitator. So like a lion, he prowls around seeking whom he may devour. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He uses false teachers, false prophets to proclaim truths that could easily undermine our, the teachings that we have received. And so these we are to stand firm against. And com coming to a close, verses 6 and 7, Paul talks about you have received Christ. He reaffirms their position in Christ. His, his memory is not fading. He's not saying one thing in one way and having to repeat it again because he doesn't know if he said it. No, he's reaffirming to him, you are in Christ. Sometimes the best kind of encouragement to go give to someone who is struggling, if you know that that person has trusted Jesus Christ, is to come to them and say, you are in Christ. You then go there to talk about their sickness, about their uh, the fact that they're trying to recover from COVID, etc. You just come to them and remind them, you are in Christ. You have received Christ. You are a child of God. The other day visiting Viv, I just read where the passage where uh, God says to the nation of Israel, you are mine. You are mine. And I said, I don't know what else to say to you. You are his. The Lord is yours. You are his child. And that's sometimes the kind of encouragement Paul brings. He says, you have received the Christ. And then he says, now walk, now walk in that truth. One of the first verses of Colossians is, Walk according to the gospel you have received. And he repeats this. He says, you have received Christ. Walk in him. What does it mean, walk with Christ? I don't have time to expound all that. Go to your word. Go to the Psalms. Go to the Proverbs. Go to the letters of Paul. Go to the Gospels. Go wherever you, you want to go and observe how God wants his children to walk. If you're reading in the Old Testament, maybe there's some laws there that you'll say, well, how, I can't put this into practice. Christ has already taken care of it. And there are that. But there's a lot of other lessons in, in the Old Testament that speak to our closeness to God to our honoring God, to walking, to being obedient. And Paul was always pulling from the Old Testament truth to apply to the church. And so uh, uh, Colossians had started their Christian life in the right way. Jesus had become the master of their lives. And Paul did not want them to end up following a false Christ, a false teaching, a false precept. He wanted them 
to continue steadfast. And that's why he uses pictures uh, in his passage here, his language. He talks about roots that are fixed into the ground. Uh, when I moved to, to London, there was a row of trees uh, along my backyard. There was no fence there. I found the two metal pegs and drew a line and the trees were outside. I transported them into them. But man, I had trouble. The roots were everywhere. And probably I didn't get in uh, every root. There was nine trees. Only two survived. But now, if I, even if I tried, I probably could not pull them up because they're flourishing. And that's what the scripture is talking about. Send your roots down, deep into Christ. Nothing will shake your faith. Nothing will shake your love. Nothing will take you off course because you have been grounded. And then he uses another example, build up. It's kind of a building. Paul uses many analogies to help us get a picture. Probably if you're, you're into forestry, the tree for, works by, best for you. If you're a carpenter, the idea of building up and putting all the rooms together as they should be, the floors, etc. I find out how, how hard it was a few weeks ago when discovered that the water tank, a uh, hot water tank, had been leaking for a long time. I had to change all the floor in uh, in, in the entrance of the house and, and part in my bedroom and behind where the washing machines were everything had to be changed and the carpenter came and did a lot of work and then he was working several places I ended up putting the actual laminated floor down I'd never done it and I, I don't, at least I think I hope I'm the only one who knows where I made the mistake <laughs> so if you come over, don't be looking too much at the floor. But anyhow, the idea of building up. And he uses ideas so that to help us understand. He's not talking about a whole bunch of steps. Okay, now you're rooted, now be a building. You're a building, now be there. No, no, he's using several different ideas to get the message across. We need to be grounded in Christ. We need to be solid in Christ. You know? And the storms, when they come, whichever the nature, will knock, knock, knock the house down. It's built upon the rock. Jesus spoke about that. And I want to finish going over to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. And this is... Uh, it's in the book of Psalms. Normally we think of David being the author of all the Psalms. He's not. And there's a debate whether David was the actual author of the first Psalm or not. Most think he was. But there are some scholars, because the way David wrote his Psalms, don't always fall into the same category. And to me, it, I mean, it doesn't matter. I believe that it's an inspiration of Scripture. I believe that God breathed upon the authors and they wrote down what God intended us to understand. And sometimes from one language to an, 
another language, something is lost in translation. But at the same time, I believe the Spirit of God who inspired the writer, the author, also superseded the translation of those who were really serious in their endeavor to bring the gospel, bring the word of God to as close as possible to the, in, to the original languages and as close as possible to our own hearts so that we can understand the message that he has for us. So let's listen to what the Spirit has to say to us today. Blessed is the man, blessed is the person, blessed is the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight or her delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law meditates day and night. Here's the recipe. Paul talked about it. Peter talked about it. And it echoes what's in the old scripture. Don't this, don't that, don't the other. It's not a don't for the sake of don't. It's because God wants you to be totally his and enjoy his presence. And he says, but his or the person's delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree, here again, planted by rivers of water that yields its fruit in season and its leave, leaves do not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The contrast that, he, that I want to make here is uh, the ones who dig into the word of God get rooted and grounded in the word of God, are like a tree planted by plenty of water. When fruit time comes, there's fruit. The blossoms, the fruits, etc., and the leaves don't wither. If a tree is lacking water, look at its leaves. Water it. And he says, those who don't meditate are in danger of being like chaff. Oh, you farmers know what chaff is. You know how it blows out the end of the combine. And the word of God calls us to really look close at our relationship with Christ and build our faith in the word of God so that we will not be like chaff, or as Paul says, drawn away by false teaching. The idea is the same. Steadfastness in the word of God is a must in my life, in your life, our life.
is a little more than what Colossians was talking about, but it's deeply connected. And so I bring this to you this morning with a deep desire to see each one victorious in every area of your life, victorious in, the, in, our, in, in our midst. And when you leave this place and you're walking among strangers, that they will know that you have been with Jesus, know that you have been with uh, others of like mind, worshiping and serving the, the Lord. And they will know that you have a steadfastness in your spirit because you are grounded in the word of God. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We ask, Father, that you complete that which our time does not allow me to address. And I lack the words, Lord, to penetrate every heart, but your word is sharper than a two-edged sword and it can penetrate our hearts and divide what needs to be divided, and it penetrates there and it convinces us not only of our guilt and our sin, but of your grace, of your love, of our forgiveness, our fellowship with you. So may the word do that, Lord. We are yours. Watch over us. You have purchased us with the blood of the Lamb, and you have sealed us with your spirit. Watch over us, Lord. We are fragile. We're still dust. And we await the day when we will no longer be affected by all that surrounds us. So go with us, Lord. Send us forth with the power of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May we sense the love of God, the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, and the inner working of your Holy Spirit, giving us fellowship, giving us communion. And may we, may we go out and be a blessing to someone today. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our eternal Savior, the one who died and rose again and intercedes for us. Amen. Amen. Take a few moments of silent prayer before you disperse.